Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I realized pretty quickly that this business actually wasn't about the deal. It had, in fact, had very little to do with the deal per se. What was really critical to making this business work and fire to its full potential was the ultimate buyer. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump and in this episode, we're chatting to entrepreneur, property developer and self-made millionaire Mark Rolton. Originally a construction apprentice from South Brisbane, he overcame enormous challenges in his career, learned how he succeeded despite having all odds stacked against him and how he got himself out of hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Starting off as an apprentice builder, Rolton was drawn to the economic benefits of property investment from the beginning. I've come from a background in building construction, left school at 16, uh, became an apprentice builder and uh, really found it difficult as a trade person. Uh, it was easy. you know. It was one to do the work but it was a different question when you wanted to get paid. Uh, I stumbled into property only for the simple reason when I sat down and looked at my finances, I asked myself the one simple question was, where are people making the biggest money? Where are the biggest gains financially to be had? And that steered me towards real estate. There was no science to it. A day in the life of Rolton looks very different now than it did when he first left school. Today, I'm on the road. I've signed off on some land estates today, uh, one being predominantly 78 lots. Um, a given day, mate, I'm a CEO of a fairly significant organisation. Uh, we do educate uh, some people, selective people, through our programs. The larger picture of what we do is our core business is development. Uh, we're in the space of land estates, low-end townhouses, affordable housing is our conversation. My back end, my portfolio, my personal assets extend across to manufactured home parks, Tyrone. So, Today, I have the largest privately owned manufactured home park portfolio in the country. Um, There's no investors. There is no other funding. It's just mine. And it's actually not just the largest, but it's also the fastest growing in the country today. Rolton grew up in the poorer suburbs of Brisbane and had some interesting experiences going to school in the area. I grew up... um, in the pretty dark places of uh, South Brisbane. Some of us would know those areas as Woodridge and Kingston. Um, yeah, it was not a great place to sort of uh, to, to, to be raised. Uh, a lot of issues, a lot of social issues, that's for sure. And uh, they were sort of the days where governments didn't have the kind of purse they do today. So a lot of my, oddly enough, a lot of my classes were conducted on the school oval on the sun. 
they didn't have the classrooms that you know they needed. So a lot of that was just basically taken, uh, you know, in thirty degree heat. That's how it worked. Wow, that must be a very interesting way. I, I don't think we could actually stand out there for too long in the sun nowadays. It's a <laughs> oh, can you imagine? You know what our uh, what our uh, our politicians would cop these days if that was the case. You know how unfair and how could the funding be so wrong? But back then you had three and a half thousand kids at a high school that could probably cater for about a thousand. But it was such a low socio demographic, Tyrone, that it just you either went to school there or you didn't have a choice going to school. And uh, lucky for me, my parents weren't they weren't so focused academically. You know, my father was a coal miner. Uh, he had dropped out of school in his in his early teens. My mum worked in a secondhand furniture centre just to keep food on the table. So that's that was kind of the cut. That's how it worked. He reflects on how his experiences growing up encouraged him to pursue wealth through investment as he got older. The decision for me was pretty simple. You know, when my parents faced a lot of headwinds in their marriage, a lot of challenges um, and divorce, I had determined very early that the reason that they separated was money. All the issues tied back to a lack of cash. And growing up in that, and I'm talking a family, and let's be clear, I won't pull any punches. There was a lot of domestic violence in my home, a lot of physical abuse. And uh, it was very physical, in fact. And, um, mate, you know, as a young kid, you see all that, you interpret that, and you make some very harsh calls. And that, for me, was probably one of the greatest reasons that, um, you know, I came out of school hungry. You know, I was clear that I am not going to put my family, my kids, my life is not going to look anything like that. So um, that was the decision, mate, right there. Wow. It's so good that at a young age you made that decision because unfortunately a lot of the people um, go through that and actually unfortunately don't end up on the other you know, positive side of things. So what, what encouraged you to make those decisions to change because you know, to come out of that isn't easy. You know, I, I can imagine how hard we've been growing up through those times. Yeah, that's a great call. That's a question that doesn't get raised too often. You are right. What was the deciding factor? I think that my dad was probably inspirational enough to realize that his life wasn't where he wanted to be. And he fed me enough fodder, perhaps, to say, this could be different. You know, there are other ways. And although his life was upside down, I guess, you know, in, in his in, in the scarce parenting that was available, there was enough there, Tyrone, to sort of say, well, maybe you should do it differently. And that's pretty cool. You know, like he didn't have the skills or the ability, maybe not the capacity, but he was smart enough and wise enough to hand the baton over and say, this is what could be for you. I reckon that's what was enough. That was the seed. And it was up to me to make it germinate. Having found the school environment quite hard, Rolton left at 16 to start an apprenticeship. Look, I um, I copped a lot of bullying. They call it, they have a label for it these days, but back then, you know, you were just the odd one out. And I guess through school, that was pretty tough. It made leaving school look so attractive. I applied for an apprenticeship. I ended up getting a, uh, an apprenticeship as a builder. And then moving out of school made that transition so much easier. I had somewhere to go and... You know, I was pretty determined to sort of have a crack and make some money. So at 16, just turned 16, I started an apprenticeship essentially. But it didn't take very long before he had his sights set on property. I approached my parents at 17 
Um, and I said, look, I don't want to be on the tools forever. I want to get into property. And at 17, I was sort of thinking to myself, you know, I really should get something, get some sort of plan. So at 17, mate, I coaxed them into being a guarantor on my very first loan. And they actually said to me, you're crazy. And I remember my loan repayments were 116 bucks a week and I was earning 171 and they said to me, so basically you're going to give away two-thirds, and this is a traditional mindset, you're going to give away two-thirds, two-thirds of your wage into, a, into debt, into a mortgage. And I said, absolutely. Now, I bought that block of land for 39300 and I sold it two years later for 44900 And I had made more in that period, I'd made more in that period than I was taking home net each week. So that was the cue. You know, Blind Freddy could see that I hadn't worked for that upside. I hadn't really sold my time. I hadn't laboured in any way to get what really was back then a massive gain. That was that was literally a 26% gain in two years. Definitely. Wow. Mate, that was, that was the door kicked wide open for property for me. Gosh. What, what did your parents say? Did you ever tell them about that story? Well, they were the guarantors of the loan. <laughs> they knew exactly what was going on. When I sold it, they were like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And I, you know, I, I took a chunk of change there. I took like, you know, six odd thousand bucks, which would take me a long time to earn and put that in my pocket. That was a huge amount of money. At the same time, Rolton was working multiple jobs and starting to grow his own business in order to accumulate more wealth for investment. The apprenticeship, yeah, such a low income um, and they were massive days like you were doing sort of 10 hour days and getting paid for eight which was normal. I was working most Saturdays. But I was also then, you know, I realized that I had to earn. I had to earn. And if it wasn't going to be through my apprenticeship, it had to be through other means. So I was packing shelves at night um, after hours to sort of make ends meet and put a few bucks away. So, yeah, mate, I was committed. I was committed. Throughout that apprenticeship, I finished my fourth year. Um, I got my indentures, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and then I started employing a couple of guys that I had met through my apprenticeship, my work, and then I just started, you know, quoting my own jobs. Um, I think at about 19 and a half, maybe even 20 at that stage, I was quoting my own work. I was keeping a large sum of profit for myself, and I had two or three guys sort of, you know, constantly working with me. And, um, yeah, that was pretty good money. You know, that was – I was sort of 20-odd, 20 and a half at that point, and I was sort of taking home. 85 95 a year take home you know yes i was working my ass off but that's kind of what you got to do in those early years of accumulation rolton continued to succeed in construction and quickly expanded his business and profit at 22 it scaled pretty fast i was good at winning the work um i was i was that kind of person that would always deliver that was the difference for me I didn't just sort of talk up a big game. I would work all hours to bring the result over the line. And if a principal contractor said to me, you've got to be out of this high rise, you know, within 29 weeks, we'd be out of there in 29 weeks. And that was just unheard of back then. So I had, by the age of 22, to be clear, I had just over 60 employees at 22, which was nuts. You know, a lot of my staff were double my age. And they were like, how do you win all this work? And I just say, well, man, I just deliver. I just get it done. There is no excuses. There's no fluffing around. I just get it done. And I just do whatever it takes to get that result. And that won me a lot of credibility 
in the world of construction because that's just so hard to find. So the merger from there, I was 22, I was making pretty good money, um, had projects all over the place, building, and I thought what I'll do is I'll go back to school. So I studied my exit score. Back then it was called an OP. I got a great OP and I thought if I can get myself into uni and study engineering, then I can really offer a full end-to-end solution. If I can put myself in a situation where I can design the project, um, I can engineer the project and physically build it, develop it, well, then I'm going to stand to make a whole lot more profit. I'm more vertical in that equation. He had decided in order to grow, he had to pull back to study and entrust his business to someone else while he did so. But things didn't go exactly to plan. So, I appointed a manager to the operation, went off to uni full-time. I studied at night school for my exit score, got a good OP, showed up at Griffith Uni um, studying structural engineering, only to find out two years later that my business, my, my company back then, had all but been stripped of any profit and assets. The manager that I appointed back then to my companies had basically stitched me up to the tune of $200,000 in cash. Now, this was, this was the year 2000, and 200 grand, mate, was a colossal amount of money, colossal. Not only had he basically, and he was very clever in how he did it, um, but he basically stripped out 200 grand worth of cash out of the business. He'd also left me with a $230,000 tax bill with the ATO. And that was the most frightening because that was accruing interest at 16% per annum. Having achieved so much in terms of business and profit in the few years since leaving school, Rolton was now faced with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. I was literally 23 years of age with $431,000 worth of debt thinking that I'm so good, I'm so smart, I've got it all worked out. I was living in a penthouse, had cars, boats, jet skis, life was freaking awesome. And I'm looking square down the barrel of $430,000 worth of debt. To give you some scale and context, you could buy a home back then for 130, 140 grand where I lived. So I was nearly four houses in debt. Do the sums, do the sums today, that's about three and a half mil. Yep. Today's money. Mm. And that was frightening. Coming up after the break, hear about how Rolton managed to deal with the incredible debt he was handed. It was day-to-day, week-to-week, man. And, um, you know, at the end of that, I just said, right, no more. No more building construction. Just done with that. Too hard, too complex, too risky. How he got back on his feet and back into property? I said, look, I've got a willing seller at X and I've got a willing buyer at Y. Can I just kind of control this and flick it onto Y? He said, absolutely. It's called an option. I said, great. As well as the worst investing moment on his way back up, I'm going to be in some real hot water. That is the only drama-filled scenario that I've really found myself in. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Unfortunately, after entrusting his business to the wrong person and accruing over $400,000 in debt, Rolton had to work quickly in order to get his business back on the right track. So thankfully, um, you know, I, I was I was able to jump out of uni, got straight back on the tools, um, basically fixed up the situation, 
took the pressure away from the ATO and the immediacy of time. They worked with me and I essentially paid down all creditors at that point. And it was really scary situation. It was day to day, week to week, man. And, um, you know, at the end of that, I just said, right, no more. No more building construction. Just done with that. Too hard, too complex, too risky. After all he went through, Rolton was still looking onwards and upwards to his next great venture. I was literally sitting there one night in my office, 8, 8.30 at night, feet on the desk, just going, okay, so what's next? Like, I'm, 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 I can see the light into the tunnel. I'm almost out of this mess. And what's on the horizon? Where is the money? And that's when it really dropped. I was kind of like, property. I've kind of got some skill there, but it really is where the big coin is made. You know, all the experts and all the real, the really wealthy, affluent people that either made their money in property or they're holding their wealth in property. It's one of the two. And that was the decision. It was not science. It was just a straight out, that's where the money is. I'm going to go get it. With such resilience and determination, it didn't take long for Rolton to stumble across a deal that would change everything for him. I was literally broke, man. I was, I was BK. I had nothing in the bank. I was trying to make ends meet. I was living in a 51 square meter unit, driving a dirty old beat up Toyota Camry, cleaning windows, making ends meet on the side. And I come across a developer. I said to him, listen, you know, Brian, where you at? He's like, mate, I need to unload some stuff fast. I didn't have the money. And there was six blocks of land sitting there. He said, Mark, they've got titles. They're finished. They're registered. uh, They're set to go. He said, but, you know, I just can't flick them. I said, well, if you give me a small discount, you know, I, I could probably connect you with somebody. And, mate, that bloated. I had met a guy three weeks after that conversation at a barbecue. He wasn't even a friend. It was a mutual buddy of, of a mate of mine. And his name was Stuart. And I said to him, you know, what do you do? He said, I'm a financial planner. I was like, oh, okay. And we just got talking about these blocks of land. I said, mate, they're a walking distance from Coles. I said, they're finished on the ground. And I said, straight up, I said, you can get them at a discount. I'll make a small margin on the way into it. And you'll get blocks that are under market for your clients. And he said, Mark, I'm in. So the preceding week, you know, that's exactly what we did. The following week, we put together the document. After organising the deal between the buyer and seller, Rolton walked away with a cash profit from every block. I spoke to a lawyer. I said, look, I've got a willing seller at X and I've got a willing buyer at Y. Can I just kind of control this and flick it onto Y? He said, absolutely. It's called an option. I said, great. Give me one of those. And I controlled the six blocks of land and I made... 7,000 profit out of each block, seven grand clear for me. And multiply by six blocks, that was $42,000, you know, literally in a day and a half of discussion. And I was like, okay, what else can I do with this? And that 42,000 doesn't sound like a lot. That was cash. I, you know, I had like 300 bucks in the bank. That was cash. That wasn't credit or, or, you know, equity. That was cash. And that was a game changer. From there, Rolton went on to scale this business model. The very next deal, you know, after that transaction, I became good at researching town plans. I I listened to the council. I I was looking at potential upside within the town plan as well. I was looking for holes, you know, in, in in the planning 
documents. Um, I became really good at sort of finding flaws in what they were doing. And I came across a very desperate developer and he had 2.88 hectares and uh, he couldn't get the funding to build these townhouses. And I just said to him, listen, what's it worth to you? He told me and he said, look, if you're going to do anything, I can tell you right now, you're only going to get 54 townhouses on it. I said, okay, cool. Thanks. And I said, well, listen, if I can option it, I'll give you more than the market. You want X, I'm willing to give you over and above that and a serious premium. Now, he was chasing 1.9. I was offering him 2.35 million for the same damn thing. And he's looking at me kind of like, why would you offer $450,000 over the market? And I said, simple, because I need 24 months under option because I've got somebody in mind that might want this and they're going to want to do a development approval. I don't have the money. He does. He's going to need some time to execute that DA. So he agreed verbally, okay, if you can give me 2.35, I'll give you 24 months. I walked into the council the very next morning and I said to the lady at the counter, look, I've been told I can get 54 townhouses on it. What can I do? She said, well, sir, we've actually changed the density there. And she flicked the computer screen around to face me and she said, see that bright orange section? I said, yeah. She goes, we've actually increased the densities there because it's only like 500 metres away from a Woolworths. I said, fantastic. She goes, you won't get 54 townhouses on it. You'll get 93. I'm laughing here, just going, oh, my mate. gosh. <laughs> Ooh, mate, and this smile, like you, this smile just came across my face. I was like, holy smokes, right on. And she was super helpful. Like, she could see that I was desperate. And that, that you know, that just opened the floodgates because I knew straight away at 93, Michael, this guy that I knew, a, a large builder slash developer, he was very wealthy. I knew he would take it straight up. So literally two and a half days later, the option is signed. I've ro rolled into a meeting with him at a cafe. I didn't even have any office premises back then. And uh, I just said, listen, i got this deal. And uh, I mentioned to him on the telephone. He goes, yeah. I said, here it is. I said, Woolies is less than half a K away. You can walk there. And he looked at me. I said, there's a high school down the road. And I said, directly adjacent, there's a primary school. I said, it's literally four kilometres away from the train station. I said, it all makes sense. He looks at me kind of funny. He goes, don't talk to anybody. I'm buying it. Give me 24 hours. I'll talk to my bankers. I'm in. Just don't talk to anybody. I said, you've got my word. Done. And, uh, you know, that deal netted me a million and sixty-six thousand dollars 34 days after it's on the option. 34 days. That was a month basically so yeah it, it changed fast i took the i took the million and sixty six thousand i paid out the, the final sum of the ato i i put some money in the bank you know i bought my very first porsche uh, brand new cash i mean it just it, it it was just upward from there after two amazing deals and a lot more cash in the bank rolton describes exactly what he did next and how he took his business to the next level I started sort of getting a lot more sophisticated around deals. I, I went through a transition, to be quite frank with you. I realized pretty quickly that this business actually wasn't about the deal. 
It had, in fact, had very little to do with the deal per se. What was really critical to making this business work and fire to its full potential was the ultimate buyer. It was having buyers in my pocket that had said, yep, we'll take it. Yep, we want that. And then I started working with Aldi. I started working with, with, with uh, Metricon. I started working with um, you know, Dixon Homes. I started working with Tamawoods. I started working with Coral. I started working with some of the largest players in the country. And they were just like, okay, we need 550 blocks of land. We need 1,000 blocks of land. We need 600 blocks of land. Go find us 320 blocks of land. And I did. You know, I just would roll up. I'd start discussing things with the vendor. I have a very unique way of of revealing the sellers, the vendors' needs. And I got really polished in that regard. And I just started doing deal after deal after deal after deal. And I realized that, you know, with a couple of million bucks cash in the bank, I didn't need to be just doing options all the time. And that's when I started transitioning to my own projects. You know, I was doing options and I'd flick something to Aldi. You know, and I'd make myself a fast 460,000 bucks. Here's 5,000 square meters, guys. Knock it out. And then I realized, you know what? They're going to make about $9 million out of that damn thing. Why am I not just developing it? You know, why am I not taking, you know, more profit, getting vertical with it? And that's when the kind of the light went on. I was like, okay, let's start developing it. You know, today we develop, you know, master plan communities of 400 blocks at a time. You know, I've just, as I said to you before, I've just signed off on 78 this morning and it's like 11 o'clock. Um, you know, we've, we've become a real player in that low-end affordable housing space, you know, and that's a really sensitive part of the market. You think about how many people today in a very fragile environment can truly afford 1.1, 1.6 million in, in, in Western Sydney, you know, inner Sydney. They just can't. They're struggling. After all the ups and downs of his journey in both business and investment, Rolton was able to avoid a lot of heartache by being educated and shares how he learned this lesson the hard way. Although I've had a lot of near misses, because I was under option, I never had to settle on it. I've had counsel in front of my eyes change their mind. And if I had a contract on that deal, I would have been screwed. I've seen counsel say, yeah, 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 me bring in a master plan and then go, no, 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 no. <laughs> if I had contracted, you know, $40 million worth of property that I had under option, if I had done that, I'd be dead. Financially, I'd be over. I've had a lot of near misses. There's only one that came to mind when you said that where I did get myself into some difficulty and was the fact that I signed a contract. I saw a development many years ago and I launched into it, bought a gate, yeah, this is going to work. And it was only like 26 or 29 blocks of land. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The vendor wants X. I'll take it. Signed a contract. And then, yeah, this is like a long way back. And then I got pre-sales on around about seven or eight. And just before I was about to settle, my bank pulled out. They pulled the funding. And if this was GS, this was pre-GFC days. And they're all getting nervous. They're retreating on lending. The letter of offer was worth nothing right and i'm sitting there going hang on i handed over a deposit to settle this thing i've already got pre-sales on it and now i'm going to be in some real hot water that is the only drama filled scenario that i've really found myself in you know and today we turn over in excess of 160 million per annum 
You know, that's the only time was when I walked into a deal and I signed a contract through an agent for a development site. And it was suicide, man. I owned it. Whether I liked it or not, I was I was in the noose. And uh, although it was relatively small, the losses back then were still significant to me. It would have been. So they were. How, how did you get out of that one? Oh, look, I had, to, I had to plead with the vendor. I ended up getting in the car with my lawyer, going to the, 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 the vendor's lawyer's office and sitting down and saying, listen, you know, my funding has been pulled. Uh, we didn't know it was a GFC back then, but this is the reason why. You know, the bank has retreated at the 11th hour. Um, you can sue me. I signed a contract and unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm locked and loaded. Or you can keep the deposit and walk away and resell it. And uh, I think with a bit of persuasion from my lawyer, I think the vendor realized very quickly I was sincere. I wasn't out to hoodwink anybody. I wasn't out to stitch anybody up. I was no rogue. I was upfront, honest, and legitimate. Um, and it was an issue. You know, and then literally three months later, the whole tornado of the GFC unfolded. Wow. You really, so, really just missed it just by that little much. And uh, Well, you know, that was the reason that the funding was pulled. I was healthy, you know, but it was only because banks were retreating uh, that they started to get nervous. And um, so, yeah, mate, I, look, you know, to, 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 to the not-so-sophisticated investor, contracts are toxic. They are deadly. When you sign it, it means that you are absolutely committed to the end. And if you've, forgot, if you've got a deposit in there, you'll easily forego that deposit because, you know, you, you are the buyer. There's no way out. With an option, I've always got the fire exit open. Something goes wrong. If council changed their mind. If the DA got declined, the permit was rejected. Great. We hand it back to the vendor and say, no hard feelings. Sorry about that. We did our best. And no party is worse off. Astound by this truly amazing story of Mark Rolton, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode on Property Invest Story. We'll learn more about his role in property options. In its simplicity, all we're doing is offering the vendor more money for the property. Now, offering a premium to the vendor, we must get time in exchange. The reason why he started and continues on this journey? I realized that I love what I do. I'm extremely passionate about property and what it does for people. I just love it. As well as the advice he would give to his past self and others. Being smart and looking at the horizon and saying, where are the opportunities? How do I diversify and scale? All of this and so much more in a future episode of Property Investory.